2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in South Asia, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Sneha Navarapu, and I'm a host of this channel. And today I'm in conversation with Dr. Rajesh Veera author of the new book, Patching Development, Information Politics and Social Change in India. Rajesh Veera is an assistant professor of science, technology and international affairs at Georgetown University School of Foreign Service, Patching Development was published by Oxford University Press in 2021 and it is his first monograph. Hi Rajesh, it's so great to have you on the podcast, congratulations on this wonderful book, Patching Development, Information Politics and Social Change in India, I really enjoyed reading it and I'm sure it's already, you know, it's such a useful book to teach with and I'm sure it's already populating a lot of syllabi Um, and uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Sneha. It's was, it was nice to be here.
2: Yeah, so I thought we could start the conversation with you telling us a little bit about yourself. How did you become an academic and what other worlds did you inhabit before coming to academia?
1: You know, I'm glad you didn't ask why you became an academic. But how? <laughs> so, so I, yeah, no. I, uh, so, uh, I mean, I did have a career, a software career uh, before coming uh, to academia as so I was a software developer I wouldn't call myself a computer scientist just a software developer writing code for a living um, and at, at a large company Microsoft and you know making a lot of uh, rich people's problems <laughs> a little bit a <laughs> little, bit, little bit more uh, you know easier perhaps uh, or at least that's what we told ourselves and um, you know while I was uh, you know, doing that, uh, or before even uh, doing that, I was, you know, when I did my master's in computer science and I started becoming um, active in a nonprofit uh, group, uh, a student group called AID, Association for India's Development. So we, it was basically a bunch of students uh, in many US chapters uh, that uh, started looking at uh, projects, development projects in India, you know, have supporting them very, very small amounts of money and meeting, you know, various social activists and and whatnot. So that was my first kind of, if you will, consciousness a politicization, if you will, of or seeing India differently. And, and, uh, you know, I, you know, came from a very, um, you know, from an upper caste uh, and, you know, uh, but uh, a kind of a middle class kind of background. uh, But, You know, so it was very privileged in many ways. And, you know, the the interaction uh, with, you know, activists and and other peer volunteers, we were trying to learn in some sense uh, the problems of this kind of uh, the world we're building um, and hearing alternatives. And so that kind of was there over time. And I still like ended up following going to Microsoft and and doing the thing and um, and so we I wanted to go back to India and um, after some point in time uh, and I it was completely accidental I mean I didn't have anything to do with research or academia I didn't have anybody in my family doing any of it and and I realized that that the cultural capital is kind of important I see many academics have how that I didn't have any of that like benefits or, 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 or problems, I would say. And and so I was kind of clear where I was going. Uh, but then I think I kind of ended up at this research group, Microsoft Research, because I thought it'd be easier to go back to India in, you know, very, actually very even more very crassly put, it was because they paid for the <laughs> move to India. I thought, okay, this would be a soft landing, you know. And uh, turns out that I go to the research group, everybody had a PhD, and somehow I kind of got in and uh, obviously I thought, uh, and I started enjoying this kind of work. And I, I think my first introduction to research was uh, um, two um, people. Uh, one uh, was Ken Keniston, he's no more, uh, was an MIT at the, um, you know, at the science, he started the science technology. Um, yeah, SDS group in MIT in the India initiative at some point, and then Balaji Patsadi, who, who now heads the IIIT group. And so they had a kind of a summer project uh, looking at kiosks. And so I kind of started, uh, I mean, I worked with them and did the two, two and a half month mini fieldwork, um, ethnographic fieldwork, very short, but uh, Looking at a kiosk project, and so I really liked it. I really enjoyed it, and I thought I was kind of good at it, <laughs> and and felt comfortable. And I realized, oh, I kind of like this, and um, and I want, and then I realized I should just get a PhD. And one of my um, managers, Kintaro, was kind of instrumental in planting that seed, along with many other peer friends. And so I went to Berkeley, went to the Information School, because that's the only, like, I guess. Um, from being a computer science student and, and econ, this was the closest um away from the technical side. And you know, I was doing this technology for development kind of projects before. And so I think Berkeley uh was a very interesting experience. So that's how I kind of got to academia um and 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 you know have had a bunch of um Influences there from sociology and, and from the information school. Um, and I, I guess then it's a drug. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we do get a high out of it and there are terrible lows <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> so this wonderful book tells us such a comprehensive story about the challenges and benefits of using information and technology in the implementation of one of the largest development programs in the world, the National Rural Employment Guarantee Act or scheme, NREGA. Um, it so compellingly shows how upper-level bureaucrats in the southern Indian state of Andhra Pradesh were trying to fix or, as you say, patch the several issues that emerged in the implementation of uh, NREGA. I really enjoyed the careful, the candid ethnographic observations that uh, you know were populated through the book. And... Uh, was so deftly supplemented by an analysis of historical events, legal documents and governmental policies. But before we get into the weeds of the argument uh, that the book is making, could you tell us a little bit about how this book emerged? What is the story of this book? And when did you start thinking about it?
1: Yeah, I, as I said, I was uh, in the information school, and I was interested in development, uh, broadly defined, and I had connections with this group um, AID and a bunch of um, NGOs and activists in India and there was a call out uh, I think 2010 summer. this is the time when I was you know students in the U.S. kind of at that you know, after some years you started thinking about dissertation and ideas and whatnot so I you know I had some vision of okay let me go spend some time with away from courses and so I kind of volunteered. Uh, I was the most expensive volunteer for them <laughs> most of the volunteers are from, from you know, Delhi and, and I, you know, and, and uh, I remember one of the actors like come all the way from, <laughs> from the U.S. for volunteering and that that airfare would pay for all the, you know, concerns of Mazurs and stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, still, I it was kind of, um, I spent a summer with this uh, group. Um, JJSS Jan and Shakti Sangathan in in Ariria and Bihar and um, and I was a social audit uh, of this NREGA program National Rural Employment Guarantee Act in Bihar and this is run by this agricultural union and you know I write that write about that in the books well uh, in the introduction and so that was the kind of start of um, you know really thinking about uh, what information and what opening up. Uh, these documents and what public hearings uh, could do uh, in, you know, in in raising the, uh, f- you know, possibilities of, of marginalized citizens questioning the state, right? I mean, of course, Bihar uh, at that time was had different kind of uh, uh, p- uh, political possibility, but um, I started thinking about what would it mean um, to study this more in depth and I was kind of thinking about uh, I think Jean Drez and Ritika Kakera was significant at the time because they were running the social audits, uh, uh, you know, kind of visiting in in Jharkhand and 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 uh, uh, other places where a bunch of volunteers. Very similar to the JJSS setup, they had a parallel setup. So I remember talking to them and and I think Jean, I may, maybe maybe I'm misquoting him, but my my <laughs> memory of it was, you know, take take. Uh, Andhra Pradesh's implementation seriously, and and because initially it was a slightly different kind of conception of what I wanted to do, uh, Rajasthan and, and Bihar, and and I think I, uh, so that's when I kind of really started at least the earliest kernels, if you will, of the, uh, you know, I wouldn't say the book, but the the dissertation, uh, first, right, that came came about.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually really loved the introduction and the uh, the the way you brought in that. Uh, scene from Bihar uh, and that you just talked about and I thought it was such a gripping intro like it was easily one of my most memorable intros that I've read to a book very I mean very fabulously done I would say. Um, But yeah to set up some context for the listeners who might be either be unfamiliar with or need a bit of a recap of the NREGA can I trouble you to tell us about the significance of the radicalness of this Employment Guarantee Act in India and also uh, what made Andhra Pradesh such an ideal site for your study?
1: Yeah, thank you. So in in NREGA, it's called the National Rural Employment Guarantee Act. It's also called the MGNREGA, Mahatma Gandhi and, and National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, and or NREGA um, colloquially and Karupani um, in 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 uh, in Andhra. Um, so there is, uh, you know, so it's a it's a as you said it's a radical program uh, because it's it's a kind of a departure from government programs or welfare programs where, you know, you would. To uh, pass, uh, you know, some kind of a program to do X, and that usually depends really on the government's priorities at the time, uh, and it would go away. Um, you know, and the right the uh, NREG was different because this is uh, uh, you know a right. You know, as, as the name says, National Rural Employment Guarantee, and it's a guarantee and it's a right to work uh, for those of uh, people living. Uh, you know, listening to this in the US, it's a very different right to work. It's really a, literally a actual right uh, for uh, citizens uh, to work, rural citizens particularly to work uh, on demand. Um, on public works, uh, and so they can actually um, demand, uh, you know, have access to work on public lands and, and the government has to give them work. Uh, and it's radical because uh, it's uh, that notion even theoretically didn't exist before uh, in, in, in this form. I mean, it, it existed. In Maharashtra I had a smaller version of it uh, before, but at a national level, um, it it was the first time that the law uh, was passed, and uh, and I can get into how it was passed. Uh, but due uh, to answer your question about Andhra, you know, I, I think the I had known at the time, also, also as I mentioned earlier, with John's comments and stuff, that the NRGS, um implementation, though it's a national program where the money comes from the from the center, the implementation is left to the states to implement these programs. And so, Andhra Pradesh actually was, um, you know, was seen as one of the kind of star states uh, of, of implementing this program well. And I, I wanted to kind of try and, you know, I had this angle of looking at uh, not just in Rega, because my focus was looking at the role that information and audits and technology can play. And so if the, uh, so it was kind of natural for me to kind of look at a program that at that time was the only state, um, this is before Telangana was, was born, was the only state that social audits were implemented uh, to the you know, spirit of the law um, rather than just in paper. And so it, it really became like the an easy case to pick for me with the kind of lens of looking at a working model of social audits and the possibility of uh, learning from a social movement-inspired uh, experiments that happened in Rajasthan with the MKSS, uh, Mazur Kisan Shakti Shankatan's uh, work, and, and the, the JJSS in Bihar, I talked briefly briefly about, and so the idea of how can you know you have these one off audits uh, of of you know having public meetings and and whatnot to question and open up government records, if it was done by a state government uh, at scale and covering all villages, what would that be? And given that it's been seen as quote unquote successful, uh, I wanted to kind of understand. Um, not so much the impact, (laughs) I was was more interested in looking at the kind of, you know, nitty gritties of the mechanisms of how does it actually work. Uh, And and so Andhra Pradesh became like a a, a kind of an easier, easy uh, case study to to start, uh, you know, grounding my work.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for uh, that context and for you know, clarifying the stakes uh, for you for the book. Um, and the book is such a refreshing analytical story of upper level bureaucrats who really did want to implement this urgent and important welfare scheme on the ground. I appreciated how the book is very snugly organized around a central conceptual contribution called patching which is a term that you borrow from the software world. And now now that I know you know how you came to academia, I wonder if it's a term that you borrow from your previous life. <laughs> so what is patching and what are its central characteristics? And what does uh, the implement- thinking about the implementation of reforms as patching tell us about state-society relations?
1: Yeah, no, I, I just want to back off a little bit about uh, like what this responds to, right? So like I, you know, like you and others, many many of us kind of read uh, in broadly development uh, texts, ethnographies and, and, and and you know, other studies, there's a lot of pessimism about, and rightfully deservingly so, right? Because even Tanya Lee's book, Will to Improve, right? Basically says, you know, hey, I am giving the, there's no, there's no doubt that there's people are well-meaning, but still you find, they are it's an anti-politics machine at the other end and and they kind of don't get it like the Ferguson's case or even with even in the will to improve. it's a very kind of you know there's moments of hope <laughs> but in general it's a and there's and and I, I think economists also are looking at it and they kind of think about examining the impact of uh, a particular program um, and you know and the political scientists are looking at like what does it take? Uh, for the state to even see the poor like at Stuart Corbridge would say uh, and and so I what I call as first mile kind of concerns are problems right where how do you get the state to kind of pay attention or, or how do you measure the impact i f- I felt that there's not a lot of uh, or or if if it ex- if it gets examined usually these it's are very um, largely negative stories right about how these things don't work and I thought um It'd be useful to kind of think about a case—I wouldn't call success, but I would say uh, not a failure or a positive case, largely—or uh, where what what would it take to kind of examine these, as you said, the state-society relations, and what is it, how is it changing by this program, and uh, and what this um, you know this would tell us. And so the first big shift was to kind of try and focus on not just the first mile problem, but the what I call it. The last mile implementation, or others have called last mile problem, uh, and looking at the politics of implementation, right? And so, uh, and so that was one motivation to kind of try and think about uh, what if if it is that they are trying to fix these things, uh, and if it, it's not just an anti politics machine, how are these programs implemented on the ground, right? And so, so that's the kind of context in which I. One, you know, started th- thinking about uh, theorizing what what is it that the bureaucrats are doing here, and um, and I and yeah, as you said, patching is, um, you know, it comes. I mean, I say that in the book. It's a definitely a software metaphor. It refers to, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, this annoying kind of uh, as as a, as a as a as a computer user now, you get this. Oh, you need an update, and you you know you get a fix, right? And so so it is it is a patch that fixes a system, and it's usually. S- you know, uh, many cases in these you know, it's desired at the top, right? And and so, um, so that's where it comes from. But I, I just want to give a small anecdote to, to kind of understand how how I came to it, because I'll give you a sense of uh, my discovery uh, of, of of before I describe what define what patching uh, in the way I define it. So I actually was sitting in in the you know in actually in Hyderabad uh, in uh, the office of a uh, of, of the then principal secretary of rural development, and, and you know we were, I mean, as, as you know, you and many listeners, anybody who's done any work with, the, uh, and you have done it, with police, it, You know, it takes a while to kind of get attention, and so I was sitting there, and yeah, uh, you know, maybe a hour or so, and, and a lot of people were coming and going, and there was this group of software uh, vendors uh, who were, um, you know, discussing with this uh, officer or bureaucrat about making you know some small changes to a, a, fi- a master roll or an turns register, and I was here. Kind of had like a list of I don't know, maybe too many questions to maybe forty or something. I don't know, like describing what, how is it working, what they're doing, and in, in the field, what is politics, and how do you, wh- how do you kind of deal with the resistance and uh, this serpent? That. So all of like lots of different kind of questions because you know barely get a time to talk, and I had to kind of pack all of it, meanwhile, they were discussing uh, and arguing and and geeking out on like which aspect of a muscle they want to control they make it read only so that it cannot be updated in the fee field and uh, uh, etc and so i uh, and and how do you store it in the back end and should you use SQL or not so I mean, I was a software developer as I said, and I understood the kind of technical uh, discussions but I really didn't understand the sense of what they were talking about and only later I would say that I realized that this is exactly how the they fix problems in the field. I mean if you talk about politics of implementation the politics of implementation results in these kind of fixes and these fixes are not just the what I just told you about technology fixes of or, or fixing a document but this idea of Fixing things based on what people do uh, in the ground uh, is. I realized this is this is how the bureaucrats were able to kind of try and control uh, and 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 try and implement this. Uh, you know, uh, and I call it cat and mouse game for in, in a paper I, I wrote about this, where it this this constant kind of. Um, reactions uh, or or fixes to counter resistance from the ground right and whether it's changes in technology whether it's changes in documents whether it's changes in how public meetings are organized uh, is whether it's changes in who should be hired as social uh, as a field uh, uh, assistant at the local level all of these changes were had to be uh, constantly um, changed and fixed and and so so i created this kind of so the patching is this idea where you know i have three different features right so one it's it's a top down process and again this is because you know this is the it's it's uh in some sense it's this you know it's it emanates from empirical work and people and i've been arguing arguing with others about it should it be top down but in this case it is top down uh uh, uh it's a top down fix uh and it's folk and it's um Incremental in the sense it's uh, these fixes are very very tiny. Uh, they're you know they're talking about which fields are read only. Whether can you you know whether sh- people should wear a, a shirt or not. Or, uh, I mean a, a certain kind of shirt or not. Uh, should they be allowed to eat meat or not? Um, uh, and where should the meeting happen? Should it be happen in this particular? Habitation or that habitation, uh, and, and and so very very small details, right? Uh, small politics in some sense, and and the third is iterative, meaning it is not just a one-time biometric device they created, or whether they created a particular uh, uh, institutional arrangement where the only women are employed, and and you know as if you know so it's, uh, that would fix it, right? So this is incremental, meaning they'll try and change. They'll try and, for example, just give you one example. Like, let's say you want to create that the meeting should happen at 5 p.m. Well, it's not like 5 p.m. is done for all all meetings. They realize that, oh, once you have 5 p.m., they'll realize the meetings won't, people don't show up. Or maybe they will realize that if you actually read out in these meetings or findings uh, about what happened in the uh, program, uh, the people who are coming to these audits are all, uh, not workers, and so the whole idea of actually open meetings uh, do not quite work in practice, and so they would st- try and stop reading out these uh, meetings, right? So in, th- in that sense, it's it's iterative. So it's top down, it's incre- you know, it's it's very very granular, small fixes, and then third, it's iterative, meaning it re- uh, reacts to uh, reactions. So one big thing uh, that patching tries to do is that it's not though it uh, uh, sounds technical, right? Last Mile is a telecommunication metaphor, but it's a very socio-political technical idea, right? It's very uh, political in the sense that uh, these are reactions or attempts to deal with resistance on the ground. So it's a, it's kind of the the opposite, if you will, of, of, of Skartian kind of vision of how the states uh, render citizens legible. And you have Metis, which is, you know people at the local level so here there are attempts and of course we're not denying like local knowledge exists and, and beyond this kind of uh, uh, attempt but i just want to defend the idea of patching as a uh, or or declare it as as not a technical idea but it's a very political uh, manifestation of attempting to try and deal with power at the local level
2: mm-hmm. Thank you. That's uh, really, really helpful to anchor the rest of the conversation about your book. Um, and so an important topic that you tackle in the book is, uh, and is, uh, and you just like we talked about it briefly, is how digital technology has come to occupy a central role in how NREGA is governed in AP. And you, sh- you show so much evidence to drive home the point that the deployment of the technology was in many ways, intended to reduce or even eliminate interference by both lower level bureaucrats and politicians and local elites, right? And yet, digital governance does not quite eliminate these interferences, something that you find through your fieldwork. In fact, you argue that technology itself creates certain unanticipated outcomes in governance. Could you give us some examples from your fieldwork uh, that illustrate your point around uh, digital governance being inherently unstable and open to conflicts uh, conflicts within the state?
1: Yeah, no, I think that, so the, again, this is to, just to, uh, for people who are not following this, there's a, you know, there's, there's two camps, right? Uh, one is believes that there's a very Techno-deterministic view that you know you you're just waiting around for the next tech, right? Whether it's Aadhaar or whether it's the uh, body body cameras in the U.S. police body cameras, or whatnot. So essentially, some kind of gadget, some kind of fix, some technological kind of cons- contraption that that you can design it and uh, and then you can you can deal with problems. And the other. Uh, And there are people who are very skeptical, rightfully so, but they're very skeptical where they're saying, well, you know, you just can't think of technology. There's no point. And let's 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 talk about politics without technology. And I'm arguing, you know, that there is a uh, at least in this case, there's a ground where um, you could conceive of technical interventions very politically right and so what that what does that mean to give a concrete example like take the example that i kind of alluded to uh, of attendance right so enrega is about it has two goals one is to get people to work on public lands that is imp- giving employment and pay them right um, paying them on time and build useful assets right and so in that sense it's a in some sense um, you know i i uh sometimes i wonder why is it that hard? <laughs> We're trying to kind of do this at scale, uh, uh, but it's a very simple idea of uh, letting uh, uh, you know Jenkins. Uh, at some point, says you know, Enrega is, is is you know is radical, but it's also very modest in in its in its operation. But yes, yeah. Why is it hard? It's because the implementation it's very unequal system, system, right? So so going back to technology, right? So the attendance register, which is an important aspect of making sure people are getting paid meaning these are how do you if you want to pay people you have to write down like who worked on what land uh, and what time and how many hours and what they um, and so this master role is this um i would say i mean i would say it's a colonial invention in some sense about of having tracking these things and people have raised questions about, about that but in practice though it is it is it is it is an important document because that's how people get paid and uh, all it has is um, a list of names and there's thumb impressions and uh, and that and it gets the pay order gets generated so as you can imagine one of the uh, uh, sources of concern and, and and avenues of of corruption if you will is these records are usually never seen anywhere else outside the local um, office right nobody's ever seen them uh, in the in the actual actuality of these records and so one of the things that uh, you know again this is many experiments before it but andhra said oh let's digitize these records right uh, and the first uh, attempt was to um, the hope is that once you digitize records you know Scott's idea of legibility right so you can actually see these records uh, from uh, bureaucrat sitting you know at the district level uh, and, and and beyond uh, and so the idea is that if you actually have more visibility that would put some pressure on 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 people um, but you you know part of you when I say this and, and 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 listeners particularly you read the book but listeners could say imagine well you know digitization doesn't really kind of solve these problems because you could you know you could still like how do you know what's happening on the ground you instead of having paper form you just change the materiality of it now it's in a digital form right uh so the bureaucrats uh kind of were not techno determinists so they were aware that this is not um you know this is not enough right and so one of the first things they did was well let's increase the speed in which the uh these records digitization happens right meaning it's not at the computer center uh, that you know that you do after the fact, but what if the data becomes digital at birth? Meaning, you can you capture it using a mobile phone and ask people to enter it at the work site, uh, right there, and then the the report can be sent. Um, it adds one more layer of uh, uh, you know checks. Right now, you can you just have to do you know if you want to be fixing this or if you want to be corrupt, you have to plan ahead. Um, and fake these uh, records, I mean one big thing I forgot to mention is the you know the obvious thing of exaggerating claims or or fudging these records, uh, and that's one big central way people make money uh, or this uh, or at least that's what they were worried about and so the mobile phone f- changes uh, what it does is it reduces the collusion possibilities right because you have to now. Do that in the work site, You're alone as a field assistant capturing these records, uh, and yes, it does put some damper on on the possibility of sitting and and thinking about which workers can be put and whatnot. But you could do that at a time, right? And so uh, the the but the benefit of this having this mobile uh, kind of instant digitization, if you will, is that the bureaucrats were again, as I said, they were not techno determinists. They were actually understood that this creates one layer, but instead of creating just a digital process, they created a, another process They would where they would randomize which supervisor uh, goes and inspects uh, the work site. Right? So 11 a.m., uh, a random uh, supervisor who is not from the village will get a text uh, saying, hey, you should go to this work site and find out whether the official record matches the uh, number of people who are there because it's same day 11 a.m. now we can go see it right and it's randomized and so uh, you know it's not clear who's going to go and so that creates a um, you know a a, a kind of a deterrence effect again and now um, you could see that yes you have you have supervisors going in, but how do you know whether the supervisors are actually going there or not? And so there's another digital solution, right? Another patch, which is basically saying, "Hey, you know, could you actually have uh, geotag the work sites, and you have the smartphones now with location enabled, and so you can compare the difference between whether uh, whether whether the supervisors are actually even showing up at the work site." Uh, and compare that with the digitized uh, re- you know record of where the land work work is happening right and so you can compare the difference uh, between between these these uh, you know between the uh, what the official record says and and what the um, you know what the supervisor is saying well as you can imagine this this is a constant thing right so the supervisors at at some points complain that um, you know, it's not that we are not going. There is an error in the actual uh, digitization of land records of of where the work sites were, and so as you can as you can see that this constant kind of uh, uh, in a paper I uh, wrote cat and mouse game um, have to happen. So the the lesson learned is not so much that. I mean, I guess it depends on how, how, I mean, my interpretation was, it's not so much uh, a kind of a uh, simple fix that you can kind of throw some technology at it. And it's, as you said, unstable. It's unstable uh, and people are very, like, always asking me, is this working or not? And I've always been like, KG, but answering that directly, not because... I don't want to answer that question. It really depends on what effort that people are putting in and when you stop asking me that question, meaning when you ask me that question, right? If you ask me or ask us, if you look at this phenomenon at a particular state, you will say that, oh, depending upon which, who is managing, who is able to kind of win that battle, you'll say, well, that party was one, it's a quote unquote success, but i am arguing this is an iterative process it's a constant change if you really want to use technology it can fix certain problems but you can't expect uh, you know uh, the other side waiting around for your brilliant inter- intervention and then thinking that you know you're going to cleverly design so the it's not it's also not anti tech because i'm not trying to say that i mean there is deterrence there is benefits there is less corruption in in some in some cases because of this constant kind of oversight i mean we just talking about tech now right this is true for other other things but it's it's not so much to kind of it's to it raise questions about certain kind of simplistic randomized control trials for example which wants to kind of quantify a certain intervention and then sees whether it's working or not whether transparency works or not giving citizens scorecard so i'm so i think the danger in kind of having a a fixed uh, a snapshot view of an intervention and then concluding whether it works or not i'm basically raising questions of that kind of model. It's just not so much you can't intervene. It is just that you don't just have, it's not about coming up with a clever design. It is like, if you really want to have transparency to work, put the effort in the transparency and, and wait and go all the way. And it's an anticipate resistance. And it's not going to be a stable, it's not, a, the search for a stable state is, is is, I think, a fiction.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
2: Very, very interesting um, and you know like thinking about the infrastructures of accountability, you also write about the role of public hearings and social audits. in fact, I thought those chapters are like so great and um, and it was so inspiring to read how a social movement, Uh, you know, enabled or uh, inspired a model to audit public works program, and how truly social a system this heralded in holding the state accountable for its actions. Uh, Your observations and the case of Anantapur show how the field of cooperation between different stakeholders, from actors within the state to NGOs, to the NREGA workers, to marginalized citizens attending audits, it's actually a Continuous process of disagreements, disappointments, and adjustments. I would love for you to speak about how the public hearing model sort of transitioned into a more regularized system of what you call participatory bureaucratic audit institution, and what kinds of considerations aided this transition.
1: Yeah, so I I would just um, put a footnote to that question by saying it's not uh, you know there are, there is some steady state, but the point that I was trying to make in that. Um, comparison is that the nature of the institution was constantly patched and when it stops getting patched it's going to end it's going to that's going to lead to a uh you know decay of that institution right so so but there is definitely a big shift as you point out initially it was uh inspired by uh the rajasthan experiment for for people who are not familiar with it this is the uh MKSS, the Mazur Kisan Shakti Sangathan uh, group that was in some sense, um, uh, were, you know, pioneering the kind of modern form of Jansen wise public hearings, which led to passing the the other right, the right to information. So NREGA uh, had two rights. I mean, this program had the right to work and the right to information. And so it, that's one of the reasons why I studied this because it had like in one case had both work and, um, the right information, which right information essentially means in this in this case, where it allows for ordinary citizens to open up formally closed government records, which is thanks to the Official Secrecy Act, that you can't go and ask for a master role that is pub, you know, that it should be open, but it's not. Um, and so the first, for the first time in 2005, the law was passed and, and NREG was the first instantiation at a large scale of that law being enacted in practice, right? And so, uh, and and, and the, the social audit process, um, uh, uh, the institution uh, of how you should do the social audit was left to the state government, right? And so there was a kind of a, model or, a, or a inspiration which was the the social movements doing these kind of um, you know gorilla audits or, or, or audits at, at different pockets if you will to kind of raise awareness and the outcome of that kind of struggle uh, was obviously material benefits for the people who are involved in those in districts and stuff but also the larger result outcome of passing the legislation right but how then what do you do uh, with it and so the there was no uh, immediate model and Andhra, because of a certain kind of, I mean, I described that in the chapter of how the political configurations allowed for a certain kind of um, bureaucrats who were, uh, you know, inspired in some sense by MKSS and went to, and you know, there's many other actors uh, were involved, uh, Action 841, uh, and they wanted to kind of create an institution uh, or create a process and so they i mean i described the 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 process of how the you know how would you set up an institution which would do this on a daily basis and and so they experimented with, initially with having the ananthaput audit you mentioned which was a rep copy of the mkss style audit but at a at a, at a massive scale uh, covering the entire district um, this was because they had a pilot audit of a food for work program and they were successful. And they said, okay, you know, this is in we've governed this, this, we've, we've, you know, we have all this, you know, um, you know dig, digital stuff that's happening. And, and, and so we will not find much corruption and, and in this program. And so they were a little bit more sure. And so they created this massive um, uh, audit uh, and Anantapur was the place where, uh, you know, in some sense, uh, in was launched. And, and so, you know, it was a you know, the district uh, where uh, the big social audit was done uh, and they, I mean, a lot of media was involved and, and so the real, and, and the meeting uh, was, uh, you know, led to um, a lot of resistance because they found a lot of discrepancies and a lot of corruption in the implementation of the program and, uh, you know, for a year or so, uh, one of the fallouts of that was that program the audit was shut down and the district you couldn't do it because it was such reach, such scale. Uh, and they wanted to kind of figure out how would you do this in audits in the rest of the rest of the state. And um, and I describe, as you put it, struggles um, between the kind of uh, the social audit um, unit, um, the initial kind of. Uh, stakeholders, if you will, uh, of people, some from the MKSS, uh, a former activist, uh, and, you know, the initial kind of volunteers and initial groups of people who were part of the unit uh, were thinking about, should you give this to a NGO to do the audit? Should it be part of uh, the state uh, missionary? Uh, and through elaborate kind of uh, I wouldn't say deliberation because I think there's a lot of I mean I describe how that process was fraught um, and uh, and there was different views on what would it mean for a social audit to be run by the state and so the the ultimate solution was to kind of create a, a, a independent audit unit funded by the state uh, but uh, so embedded in it but independent uh, Lee Ran uh, and the MKSS activist Samyakidambi, who still now uh, is part of the Telangana unit, was chosen as the director, and um, you know created this kind of institutional, uh, you know, uh, uh, f- uh, forum uh, where you know you have uh, you know you have an audit unit part of the state, uh, but uh, funded by the state, but it but it. It is independent from the bureaucracy because, you know, Samia, for example, is not a an uh, IAS officer, for example. It's kind of from, from the society, from the outside, from civil society, uh, and with autonomy, autonomy to kind of hire people who, uh, to this institution from NGOs and and uh, uh, you know, and, and sons and daughters of Enrega workers. And so I can I can discuss that if you want to know how that's set up, but but the, the so it's a so long so it's participatory bureaucracy because it is in some sense um, it is a bureaucracy first meaning it they have they, they have documents they you know uh, they they uh, they part of they funded by the state and you know you have to do audits every six months and uh, and and the rules that govern it and and uh, and whatnot right and they have to achieve all scales now they can't leave one village and and so in that sense it's a very uh, um, funded bureaucratic process of running these audits uh, but it's participatory to the extent and that's again the and if you read this it's I, I'm, it, it's a struggle of how much participation who is participating how much how workers are participating and that, and, and where do you how do you conduct these meetings where do you conduct it uh, and the back and forth uh, so it is it is not a stable uh, configuration um, if you will.
2: Yeah, and to really get at this question of participation and what creates a social architecture that makes it truly possible for marginalized people to read and understand the state, you compare three types of public meetings in Pradesh: the Gram Sabha, the Ratchabandha meeting, and an experimental audit meeting. So how were these three meetings different and what did the experimental audit meeting do that the others did not?
1: Yeah, so... um... The, I mean, again, one of the things I should mention uh, about the Andhra style of audits uh, is that, um, you know, we're talking about last mile, uh, local power system and, and, and ability to deal with it. And there's some precedence to it, right, in Andhra, where the, there's a hist- history of kind of bypassing the, the local, you know, um, village uh, assembly uh, and electings, you know, they didn't, when I was there, they didn't have serpent directions for a while. And, and so this whole gramsava was something that was, um, you know, was never taken seriously for many reasons. And I describe, uh, you know, it's actually started from anti Ram Rao in some sense of how, you know, this whole idea of mandal, which was a kind of a sub block was created. Not so much for you know mandal is like half a block so you can see it as a maybe oh they are are they close to the people well actually there's a political reason for why the mandal was created um, because the you know the Congress were you know Indira Ramra felt that the Congress were running the uh, you know uh, uh, a block so he wanted to have a new power structure so created a completely new set of units uh, and so uh, I'm saying there's a history of this kind of meddling with. Uh, these democratic structures that predates this program, but so but the idea of Gram Sabha is one meeting where you know it's nice constituted uh and it's supposedly this meeting that lets people speak about anything they want it's you're supposed to have it so many times and and uh in Andhra. Uh, compared to other pa- parts uh, of of the of the country um you know the, it's not was not taken seriously by the bureau- bureaucrats and the political uh, uh, elites at the top and so the gram sabhas i describe as really a kind of a uh, a paper uh, participation meaning you you know i you know did a survey uh, in in 50 uh, villages to kind of try and get a sense for um you know who comes to these meetings and and what speaks out, what who speaks and who speaks and and what happens and it it felt i mean at least the time that i was there um, that these meetings were really not implemented in any serious way and so that that was just one meeting and then the the Ratchabanda is a is a the other extreme in some sense it's a it's a very politicized uh you know it's a meeting uh was again a pre- precursor to this where you have uh if you are a cynic, you can see this as uh, uh, you know. And one of them actually told me this, which is you have work that needs to be done done in a pub in a, in one day, where you have all the line departments of the bureaucrats are lined up in some sense, are there in one place, and all the the political parties supports it uh, and uh, demands in some sense kind of. Having all the bureaucrats to show up, and they all show up. It's massively attended. The opposite of the Gram Sabha is very politicized in the sense that um, there's a big, like, kind of show, and uh, and uh, and you know, and and the and the politicians come and take credit for all the things they've done, and uh, and you you can sign, you know, you can submit the things that are broken, and have all these bureaucrats sitting, standing, and and having boots, and you can submit your petitions and have your grievances addressed, right? And so in that, these meetings are widely attended uh, because it's, and from not just from the party, in, you know, not just if you didn't vote for that person, or so actually everybody attends. Uh, so this is a case where it's completely politicized. If the political party really wants to do it, you can actually have these uh, processes, um, you know, really like the political society in some sense kind of can be galvanized in a way that uh, they don't do, they don't, doesn't happen all the time, right? And so the, the, the social audit meeting oh uh, well, i'll get to the social audit meeting one of the uh the experimental audit meeting was in some sense like you know i i mean i was a participant observer and so you know the 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 so this the participant in the in the was more um strengthened in this little in this in this meeting so meaning you know we were i mean i was part of a group i was you know that phase i was kind of hanging out with the social auditors and and this, we wanted to kind of try and deviate from the the social audit process, right, in, in the sense which is only, um, and I'll, and you will, after this meeting, you'll understand why that process was followed, because uh, here we wanted to kind of veer off the script in some sense where, you know, we wanted to kind of try and maximize the, the participation, if you will, on the village, in the village. And so... What how, what what would you do if you if you wanted to maximize populi- you wanted to try and maximize attend atten- att- uh, attendance to these things and one easy way was to kind of try and talk to various different factions to various different groups various different political parties you know Ambedkar Union and whatnot and try and so we basically took the same social audit which is about uh, I should say for people who have not read the book the three different stages of the social process. So one important stage is the household survey where they would go door to door uh, and essentially ask a worker, did you work on Enrega? Were you paid? And how much was it? How much did you get paid? And a simple difference between those two. And and they would also do an inspection of the field site and so they would know, get a sense for how much work was done and um, and whatnot. And so uh, so the so the the idea of um conducting a local public meeting at the village level is to try and um, build support and gather evidence uh, to what actually happened in the field, right? So this is not just about digitization and technology from the top, but it's also a process where you have uh, ability to kind of really understand what is going on in the field. And so you, it's not just at the household survey, because one of the worries was if you just do an audit process where you go on door to door, the question is, it could be captured. So the idea was if you actually have an open public hearing, like the Johnson, why I started off in the in the book, you actually have meeting where you could uh, Many people are present and so you can discuss openly, not just at an individual level, but at a village level, the total expenses that are spent. This is the amount of money that was uh, spent on this village, how many works are open, how many people are employed, and, and very more aggregate space and allows for people to kind of try and like deliberate, right? There's an imagination of a kind of an Habermasian public square in some sense, right? Um, but in you know, the reality was, you know, you, you have this Sabhas, which is kind of very sterile, and you have this Rajabandha on the other end, um, you know, when we try to kind of experiment this audit, uh, or this this audit where we talk to a bunch of people uh, who are politicians and whatnot, the and we made sure workers would show up by delaying the meeting, have have it at a particular time uh, in a particular space, and uh, and so that many people can attend attend and you know, I, I think the the uh, you know, um, as you as you read the book, the meeting was really too much politics. It became like uncontrollable uh, participation in some sense, where the auditors, whom the outside had no wherewithal, compared to like a social movement, would who much who do much much more. They would be there for months. They would figure out who the connections, political connections, and they had a lot more access to power. They would mobilize police. They would mobilize media, and were done in a much much more. Uh, and that's why they do it very, very rarely, right? Uh, here you have social auditors who are from the outside, uh, from the NGOs, part of the unit, and they hire local uh, sons and daughters of NRGA workers to be part of these oh, social audit, very different kind of power configuration. And to kind of go with that and try to imp, you know, be very political with the big P by, drawing, by raising questions uh, Uh, talking to the opposing political party became completely unmanageable. Uh, And so the social audit meeting does not do that, right? So it becomes a more bureaucratic enterprise where, and very politically bureaucratic, meaning it's not, um, so they're interested in, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see what your take on it and others' take on it, but it's you know so they try and like in some sense, if it's too much resistance, they would not read up, read out the findings because they are worried about yes, it's an open meeting, but if it's too open, uh, then if the only the local elites show up, they are there to kind of find out who, who testified against them, right? And so the game, if you will, of this. Social auditors who are actually um, largely, I would say, very sympathetic towards open deliberative process and in reality would deal with this politics of of, of local, you know, power, class, and caste uh, power, um, and I'm sure there's gender power, which I, you know, as I as I, as I point out at some point, you know, I didn't analytically examine, but um, that you know, so so the ability for these auditors to to counter that kind of power was not there, right? So they would retreat by, you know, following various techniques to kind of try and avoid it or deal with it. Uh, and there is, again, every strategy had to be patched because there would be counter reaction. They would, the local elites would. Demand the audits. The Gram Sabha was actually demanded uh, by the local elites to say, not just in Andhra and Rajasthan too. Saying, "Well, it should be done at the local level by us. Who are you coming from the outside? And we should read. We should know what's going on in the field uh, in in your audit." And and so, anyways, I'll stop there to kind of say that the, it's it's as you said, it's a very you know, it's a very contested process, um, and and. Uh, so the, the, the chapter was uh, was trying to kind of set the stage for the kind of everyday audit. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to recap, like, as I understand it, there are three stages to a social audit process. In the first stage, there is a household survey wherein workers see and verify their documents that disclose how many days they've worked under Enrega, where they have worked, how much they were paid. In the second stage, there is an open village meeting where people... Uh, uh, where uh, the records are read out loud and workers can identify discrepancies. And in the third, there is a Mandel-level meeting where these discrepancies are resolved and workers are compensated and poor people responsible for the and the people responsible for the discrepancies sorry are penalized. You argue that these kinds of social audits create the possibility of reshaping relations between state and society with a more equitable distribution of power, right? And much of that redistribution of power is best made sense of... Uh, through the metaphor of rewriting state records. So what does rewriting the state entail? And what are the possibilities it opens up for marginalized citizens?
1: Yeah. Again, this is you know just to back off, right? So this is um, you know responding to kind of scholarship which talks about seeing the state or seeing like a state, and uh, you know uh, both Scott's and Corbridge work and short Corbridge work, uh, uh, and um, as well as um, you know Matthew Hull's work on you know the state may, and you uh, know other anthropologists like Nayan Mathur and others uh, talk about. Uh, and even Akhil Gupta's red tape—the idea of like, what is a state making? You know, state is made by records, and and so the idea of um, you know taking the kind of Scottian and and, and vision to kind of ground level—it's records, right? It's not planning documents. It's everyday state records is where action is, and so so allowing for you know citizens to see—I mean, like you know Stuart Cropper just kind of said at some point that development programs are the only time that the poor actually see the state, right? In some sense, and so. And if you take it one one level further, seeing those records, right, is a big deal because it allows for contestation at at some level, right? Um, well, the social audit process. I was trying to make a theoretical point, and I would, you know, empirically, the and as you, as I show, you know, the the possibility of the realization is is limited, right? The idea of rewriting, meaning it's not so much just seeing the official records. So the social audit process is about generating counter testimonies, right? About changing what the official record is in some sense, right? So in that sense, it's an opportunity for, if, if the state is made by writing records, then if you have a process where ordinary citizens are writing those records or rewriting those records they are in some sense it's it's democratic ideal of state making so they are part of they're engaged in the activity of you know being the state right and of course when i say it and when listeners might be like wow that sounds hard (laughs) and very radical in practice and it is right and so that's why you can't have anybody come and write it because then would be complete chaos right and so they govern the process of how um who who gets to write it and so this whole art meetings uh, as you described it nicely uh, three different stages at each stage this attempts at rewriting these records right and and it's very it's organized and institutionalized in a certain way and limited also uh by a throttling how that process happens both for you know pragmatic reasons but also very political reasons right so pragmatic in the sense that you know you can't just say you know if you you say okay now here's a document go change it well you know again the local elites are going to change change it to the to 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 what they want and so you want to control it but uh, but the political aspect comes in because you don't want the I mean not you don't want they didn't want um, or they could not allow for um, you know the social order process the rewriting in in practice uh, uh, the radical possibility of it realized because they you know they, they only had so much political will uh, to be able to kind of counter let's say the contractor uh, you know the material payments right and so some of the labor side things you could kind of try and rewrite it because the labor was at that time it was much more possible to kind of contest the wages if a worker is not getting paid that that was Possible to kind of try and change, but if if there was more money being spent on, uh, uh, you know, on the material, uh, the possibility of a social audit finding being factored in back into the official records and changing it was contested more, right? So I, so I'm, all I'm saying is empirically there was a little room uh, uh, for re- the rewriting possibility uh, to happen in practice, but I just wanted to introduce this possibility. Uh, of rewriting state records as a democratic process of, of the potential uh, of everyday citizens to be part of, of being uh, you know what the state does.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's really really illuminating. It's just uh, switching gears for a bit. So, patching development is based on in-depth ethnographic research, and uh, I wanted to know how did you carry out your research and what were the some what were some of the difficulties you faced and which ethnographies were you
1: inspired by? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think as as you're an ethnographer yourself, I the you know the act of writing one, um, you know, where you kind of smooth out a lot of, a lot of, uh, lot of, uh, uh, I mean, some of it. I mean, I did, uh, you know, it did, it, it you did. Um, I mean, I did speak out um, in in, but at every stage, uh, there was a struggle uh, to. Uh, be part of uh, the the field right and so you know i you know i'm not an anthropologist so so i don't probably have a certain kind of restrictions on 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 how i should conceive of the field but there was you know i had read a lot of these ethnographies and i i was kind of imagining a kind of a a fixed field based 12 month, like, you know, agriculture cycle kind of study where I would be located in one place. And, and, in, and you know, if there are others who've studied bureaucracies like locating themselves in an office. Um, and I was, you know, I just, I mean, I guess I started off studying the social audit first, right? And the social audit is a mobile operation, meaning they come in and go. So I wanted to basically, my field initially was the social audit Field, uh, and and that changed, right? They would come in, and so they followed them for three months, being an auditor, and you know did all these experimental audits and all the regular audits and whatnot. And so that was something uh, was not a fixed location, so I traveled with them, um, and 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 it had its challenges, right? Because you're not really located in one place, and 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 but it had opportunities to kind of discover new possibilities in some sense, kind of following the document, if you will, trail. Um, and this idea of rewriting and stuff, all that comes in because it's you can see how these documents change hands and whatnot. Then the second phase of of, of fieldwork uh, was looking at the the interplay within the bureaucracy uh, and through technology and, and 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 all these meetings and and whatnot, right? Of trying to kind of control between the state. And so that uh, phase was you're spending a lot of time in Hyderabad, spending a lot of time in all these meetings and uh, and that happened in different parts. Um, of, of the state uh, and and uh, you know I I feel like I maybe this is you know somebody will come and tell me write a different history and and find something different but you know i I thought that I could not have picked up uh, uh, you know uh, this kind of digital um, interventions that happened by not spending time across the country having like going to agriculture union meetings and going to like you know, spending time with the field assistants, spending time with the upper level bureaucrats and attending video conferences and whatnot. So that phase was, uh, you know, really between um, spending a lot of time, like, uh, you know, understanding the bureaucracy itself, right, Uh, and the layers within the state, so to speak. And then the third phase was, you know, I was dissatisfied with just like just the bureaucratic place. I really wanted to kind of understand society and its configurations because I didn't want to kind of, you know, um, you know, basically. I mean, I knew enough to know that this, you know, this, is, you know, you know, it's a very divided society. So I wanted to kind of figure out how do I study these things. And I, in fact, the book only had one case, one particular context. But in, you know, I had written a separate article comparing. So I spent some time. Three months actually in an Adivasi village, and uh, and separately, I spent time in a Dalit habitation in a large agricultural village to kind of try and understand how, you know, local uh, configurations will differ. And so that became a more a classic like locating uh, the locating myself in one place, and then like get the meetings come through, and 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 then I also, um, uh, you know, I I'd say worked under courts, you know, because I I really. Um, it was very hard to do Enrega labor. And so one of the things I tried to do was trying to kind of live with the laborers. And uh, and it was, you know, I, it was challenging also uh, liberating in in many ways uh, to be with them. And I don't want to romanticize, uh, you know, how tribal uh, Alibasi life is, but it was very distinctly different from like the rest of society in many ways, uh, in any gender relations and whatnot. So, so the third phase was kind of more classic, uh, locating one place, um, you know, look, being part of their work culture, part of, you know, going to the local police station and hanging out. uh, And, uh, and, 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 and so that was, uh, uh, you know, the third phase, if you will, of, of doing work. So I kind of, and then plus I did spend some time like the assembly archives and whatnot, but uh, so that's the kind of method in some sense, because Enrega, there's multiple Enregas, right? So I think Jeff Fitzo nicely put it, like, you know, there's an Enrega that's legislation, there's an Enrega that the bureaucracy sees it, there's an Enrega in practice. So I wanted to capture all three uh, and maybe imperfectly so, because one, you know, there's only so much time. And I, so that was the kind of um, approach that I took. But I, you know, in terms of inspiration, I mean, I I, I think I mentioned a lot of these uh, books already. Uh, The Will to Improve was something that was very... uh, Inspirational um, and very frustrating <laughs> to read because you know, in some and 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 uh, and, and Nayanika uh, uh, you know, a book uh, uh, and 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 uh, yeah, and 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 Ferguson's and, and and not not just ethnographies, I mean, other work, Jonathan Fox's you know, work and on transparency, and um, and so uh, and plus a lot of tech uh based uh, you know papers and interventions that people have and even uh you know uh, some econ papers on on rcts and uh and i responded to and benefited from um so it was more eclectic uh, kind of not one um located field study mm-hmm. if you will
2: mm-hmm. thank you um so what are you working on now and what can we hope to read by you in the future
1: um, so I I'm working on um, uh, a few things. One uh, w- again, it's it's uh, one was uh, a project that is kind of stalled because of COVID. Uh, we did uh, been spending couple of years actually trying to kind of um, very different register of a uh, work which is to kind of try and document uh, the informal settlements in Delhi uh, and. Uh, essentially coming up with an index of sorts of who gets what from the state and kind of comparing the nine different types of settlements and, uh, and, uh, a very, um, you know, I would say a laborious task. Uh, this is a collaborative work with a bunch of people. Uh, and that's something that, uh, and we want to kind of, it's tall because we want to try and like generate maps that can be understood by local, um, uh, people who are living in these settlements and try and like there was a slightly activistic project there, and that kind of got st- st- stopped uh, in because of COVID. But um, so that's one. And then um, the work that I'm, uh, so I, I've been, I wrote a couple of papers with others on, um, you know, since I'm stuck here, uh, on AI and how it uh, affects uh, marginalized citizens broadly defined. Uh, uh, and, and so that, so we wrote a couple of papers on one looking at, um, you know how it affects caste and how it uh, impacts work relations um, on in in terms of how the imaginations of you know what people build for uh, in the name of AI surveillance machines and 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 how, you know we make this argument inherited discrimination uh, from the institutions that exist and so it's not surprising that these AI imaginations kind of reflect that right so it's a very uh, and then um, you know another paper which is on you know, studying up in some sense of talking to a bunch of, you know, I guess 70 or, um, uh, there's a paper that Nitya uh, Sambasimhan led and I was part of it, which uh, looking at, uh, you know, uh, how AI designers imagine, um, uh, you know, AI for good project, how do they kind of work with um, areas where data doesn't exist. And so they work with a bunch of NGOs and whatnot, how they treat expertise, our local expertise uh, and we make this argument they're de-skilling these local experts because they see them as data workers uh, as opposed to local experts and they're only interested in like what data they can get and 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 the data what they want is desired by them they were not experts so so that reduce so we basically argue it's a kind of a Nobody wins, um, and the uh, and so a bunch of work on AI and 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 marginalization is largely kind of a critical look at AI, uh, and I'm also looking at like with all the randomized controlled trial critique, and I and I uh, you know I, a friend of mine who's um, uh, uh, you know who's a development economist actually who's in, in uh, working in Bihar, been working in Bihar, so I'm kind of thinking ways to kind of get this idea of patching into that process and seeing and we just early stages of looking looking at how would you, uh, what would it mean to uh, think about patching uh, in, in a, and, and would it make sense to kind of try and um, evaluate an impact uh, of, of a system where you are more um, open to the idea of patching as a possibility rather than coming up with one kind of fix. So uh, that's also, happening
2: wow thank you these all these projects sound really exciting and i'm looking forward to reading more of your work uh, thank you so much for taking time out and talking with me about patching development again i really enjoyed uh, how clearly argued and well written it was and it's got so many insightful arguments around uh, state society relations in contemporary india and i highly recommend it to everybody listening and thank you rajesh for taking time out to do this i really appreciate it
1: no, I think thank you to you, too. I mean, as I was telling earlier, it's like the labor of love. And I, I feel like this is a lot of work. And I, I hope you, uh, you know, you not just get, uh, uh, you know, benefit intrinsic, but hopefully, you know, the czars in your department whatnot not give credit to what you're doing. This is this is amazing work. Thank you.
2: Oh, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks.